look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the FMIA Mini-Pod. My name's Peter King. This is my podcast, my short podcast for the week that will introduce you to my Football Morning in America column for week 14 in the NFL season. Uh, It's Sunday night, about 3.47 a.m. I'm at my apartment in Brooklyn, not on the road this week. And I concentrated a lot of my column this week on the San Francisco-New Orleans game, the 48-46 game, one of the best football games I have seen in years. I don't know how anybody could disagree with that unless you're brokenhearted over being a Saints fan. But um, I'm going to start by reading a, a short note from Anthony Chen, a Seahawks fan, who wrote to me this week and said, and wrote to me and, and sort of in support of the mini pod. He said, recently my wife and I welcomed our second child, baby girl number two, into the world. I was fortunate enough to be given six weeks off from my company to spend time with my family and to watch them grow. With the second child in our home, our days and nights became much more hectic. And as a result, our family wasn't able to enjoy Sundays as we normally would watching the full slate of NFL games. Our free time became very limited. We kept our favorite team, the Seahawks, as our top priority and spent the rest of our time keeping the kids busy. As a result, your mini-pod has been a perfect addition to my Monday morning lineup of podcasts. Through the mini-pod, I'm able to get a great recap of all the games and headlines around the NFL and still feel like I'm in tune with what's going on around the league. I also enjoy the Adu Haiku each week to cap off the pod. Well, Anthony, have a great time with your kids. I'm sure you're probably up right now with them, aren't you, at 349, wherever you are in the world. I guess you're out on the West Coast. But I really appreciate your writing. Uh, Good luck with your two girls. And um, I'm glad I'm able to keep you a little bit informed about what's going on around the league. So what we're going to do, as usual, I'm going to read you the lead to my column, tell you what else I have in my column, and then give you a couple of thoughts on every game in the NFL that was played on Sunday. So after the games, as you know, on Sundays, I usually talk to a few players. This week, I talked to George Kittle of the 49ers. I talked to Matthew Judon of the Ravens, linebacker who had a great game defensively in their win over Buffalo. Uh, And I talked to Drew Locke, the young Denver quarterback, after his second start. And let me tell you, this you're not going to have a lot on this mini-pod about the Denver Broncos, but wow, I've been impressed watching Drew Locke. One of the best things that could have happened to him was taking time and not getting rushed into the job. I saw him in training camp. I did not think he looked very good. 
but he sure has looked good the last two Sundays, particularly today. So a little bit on all of that in my column, but let's start with the lead of my column on the San Francisco-New Orleans game. Here we go. It'll take days to digest what happened in New Orleans on Sunday in the game of the year. If it ended Saints 46, Niners 45, which was the score after 59 minutes and 20 seconds, we'd probably all still call it the game of the year. But the fact that it didn't end then, and the fact that something happened on 4th and 2 that immediately takes its place in all-time 49ers lore and vaulted San Francisco from 5th to 1st in the NFC playoff race with three games to go, well, that makes it all NFL filmsy, tingly, and massively important in the playoff race at the same time. The whole day, George Kittle said an hour after it was over, for me, was one of the best experiences of my life. The place was crazy. Fans were nuts. You couldn't hear. Such a fun environment. Now, even if you've seen the Kittle play ten times by now, there are things you don't know, things you'll want to know. The scene, 39 seconds left, fourth and two for the San Francisco at its 33-yard line. The 49ers needed at least 32 yards to get in range for a Robbie Gold field goal try. There's a two-by-two two formation, two receivers left, and a tight end and wide outright with Raheem Mostert, a sidecar to Jimmy Garoppolo in the backfield. The play clock wound down. 04, 03. Garoppolo nervously kept clapping now, wanting the ball. 02. He doesn't want to delay. 01. Shotgun snap precisely at 00. But wait, timeout. Coach Kyle Shanahan called a timeout. I'm just trying to get the play right. Shanahan said later. He barely called time in time, but he thought of something better to get the two yards. Something better named George Kittle. Kittle was going to be the epicenter on this choice route, and he and Garoppolo knew it. Garoppolo never went to the sideline. Above the din in the huddle, he heard Shanahan call the play into his helmet very soon after the timeout started. Right away, he looked at Kittle. Hey, you're going to get the ball on this, Garoppolo, the cool jillionaire, told Kittle, the 146th pick in the 2017 draft. You better win. So the league's top-heavy this year, and six teams have 10 or 11 wins heading into the last three weeks. Two of those teams, Seattle and San Francisco, are in the NFC West, and one could finish 13-3 and three and face nothing but road games to get to the Super Bowl. Entering Sunday, Seattle and San Francisco were 10-2, and two, but Seattle had the tiebreaker edge, so the Niners were ensconced as a wild card as they took the Superdome field. Said Kittle, Kyle talked to us about that before the game. Technically, we were the fifth seed, but we've got our destiny in our hands. We knew that. The game was insane. Each team scored four times in the first half, four times in the second. It was 28-27 Niners at the half. After halftime, the teams ping-ponged points. 
Saints first, then Niners, Saints, Niners, Saints, Niners. And then with 53 seconds left in the fourth quarter, Saints on an 18-yard touchdown pass from Drew Brees to Traquan Smith to make it 46-45 New Orleans. No one open on the two-point conversion pass. So if San Francisco could just kick a field goal, well, that would end it. Breeze, by the way, was stupendous in a performance that left him two touchdown passes shy of breaking Peyton Manning's all-time touchdown record of 539. Five touchdowns, no interceptions on the day for Breeze. How many more games like this he has a month shy of turning 41? I do not know. But this one, with the stakes involved, was an all-timer for him. On that go-ahead touchdown, he saw a huge mismatch. Traquan Smith isolated on middle backer Fred Warner and zipped the ball onto Smith for an easy touchdown. Or at least Breeze made it look easy, as he so often does. So many Saints have been in this spot before, playing in front of a howling crowd with games and divisions and playoff berths on the line. Breeze and Cam Jordan and Thomas Morstead and Teron Armstead and even some of the young guys like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. But most of the Niners were brand new to this. Garoppolo looked a bit affected in the Monday night loss a month ago to Seattle, misfiring in key spots and missing a few open receivers. Not Sunday. He and Breeze each threw for 349 yards with a quarterback rating over 130. Jimmy G played on the Breeze stage in the Breeze house and acquitted himself quite well. And I'd have written that regardless of what happened in the last 39 seconds in New Orleans on Sunday. So, 39 seconds left. Now, this was different. Shanahan, after the timeout, had three receivers bunched just outside the left tackle. Kendrick Bourne, the tip of the spear with Emmanuel Sanders to his left and a full step back, and Kittle slightly right and behind Bourne. You could see what Shanahan had in mind. Bourne and Sanders would clear out for Kittle, and unless Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen decided to double Kittle, Garoppolo would make Kittle the first read. At the snap, Bourne ran hard up the left seam, and Sanders did a five-yard crossing route left to right. And there was one man, rookie safety Chansey Gardner-Johnson, guarding Kittle, with safety Marcus Williams about 10 yards upfield, over the top, protecting if Kittle beat the kid. On the choice route, Kittle told me, you just motion over from right to left, and if it's man, I line up behind Emmanuel and KB, and they clean it out for me. The guy covering me sat pretty far inside. Choice means I can break in or break out. With him sitting inside, Gardner-Johnson basically made the decision for me. I broke outside. Kittle on third down hadn't gotten inside Gardner-Johnson, who broke up the short pass from Garoppolo to make it fourth and two. But on the fourth down call, Shanahan was right to call time and switch the play. The wideouts cleared out the space and forced the Saints into man coverage on Kittle. Garoppolo led him perfectly and hit Kittle precisely at the first down mark, the 35-yard line. 
Gardner Johnson drove at Kittle's legs, and he missed. Kittle turned upfield along the left sideline. He was unchallenged till midfield. Marcus Williams reached and unintentionally grabbed Kittle's face mask with his right hand, and Kittle became a bucking maniac right around the 48-yard line of the Saints. Kittle reminded me of Mark Bavaro in that 1990 game against the Niners, carrying Ronnie Lott for 12 yards and needing three San Franciscans to bring him down. Funny thing, Kittle wasn't upset that Williams grabbed and tugged the mask. I knew he'd get flagged for it, so I was actually happy. It just meant 15 more yards for us, Kittle said. So, I asked, what's going through your mind as this guy's grabbing your face mask and not letting go, and two other guys join in to try to take you down? You remember what you were thinking? Get as many yards as I can and hold on to the damn football, he said. From the contact face mask hold by Williams till three Saints hogtied him down was 20 yards. And the gain was 39 yards. Add the 14 yards, half the distance to the goal line, for the face mask call. And San Francisco had first and 10 at the Saints 14. This little fourth and two gambit, Shanahan's last millisecond timeout, the efficient and necessary Born and Sanders clearing out, and the 37-yard Kittle run, looking like a bull rider in one of those Texas bars, netted 30 or I'm sorry, netted 53 yards. 53! Not bad for a guy who had caught only 48 balls in four years at Iowa before the Niners saw something athletic and rough and tough in him in the scouting process in 2017. Man, the play was pretty fun, Kittle said. Was it your biggest play ever, I asked? With what was at stake? Probably. The Niners bench went nuts on the play. As Richard Sherman said, most people would go down and complain to the refs about the face mask. But he was like, I'm going to bully you all the way to the end zone or until you stop me. We don't win this game without that play. Shanahan was already thinking of what to call after the fourth and two conversion. He had no idea Kittle would do what he did. Said Shanahan, Kittle took care of that. Gould's 30-yard field goal at 0-0 won it, 48-46. Football's the best thing in the world, Kittle said, practically gushing over the phone from Louisiana. Well, I was gushing too, and I'll admit it, after that ridiculous game. What this means to us, what it means to the Saints, what it means to the fans who were incredible, the team aspect of the game, the way everyone here feels like a part, they're a part of something special. That's what it is. It was special. Now we've got 24 hours to celebrate this bad boy. Then we're on to next week. I can't wait to play more football back in San Francisco. Interesting road now. With the Seattle loss at the Rams Sunday night, San Francisco takes over first place in the NFL t NFC top seed at 11-2. The Falcons and Rams come to Santa Clara in the next two weeks, 
while 10-3 Seattle is at Carolina next week and home to Arizona in two weeks. There's a real chance the San Francisco at Seattle game in Week 17 could be immense. The division title, a first-round bye, the dreaded five-seed, all could be in play December 29 at CenturyLink Field. That game might mean more than the one Sunday in New Orleans, but I have no idea how it could be any more fun and any more compelling. That's the end of the lead to my column. Um, a few other things from the column itself before I get to games. Um, I wrote a section of my column this week on a boy named Anthony Myers. Uh, he was a football player at Burke's Catholic High School in Reading, Pennsylvania. At the age of 17, last Wednesday, he died of a malignant brain tumor. I wrote about him briefly last year in my column, and this year uh, I talked to his strength coach, uh, who's incredibly broken up over this death. Um, and this kid lived uh, a life very much worth celebrating. I hope you enjoy this part of my column. Uh, <clears throat> you know, my one player of the week that I was really kind of happy uh, to give to um, was Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Bears. And I'll read you this. With everyone in Chicago land howling for the head of Mitchell Trubisky and everyone in media land, including me, calling for Trubisky to be benched, Nagy stood behind Trubisky continually this year. Maybe he felt he had to. Maybe he did it because the Bears were 3-5 and five at one point and he viewed Chase Daniel as just an emergency guy, not a quarterback to lead the team to the playoffs. But Trubisky started a turnaround in part in the Week 12 win over the Giants. And then in the last two games, at Detroit and then Dallas at home, He's had a 116.9 rating, completing 75% of his throws. Coaches have to swim against the tide at times, and sometimes it kills the team, and sometimes it gives the team life. Now it looks like Nagy's endless votes of confidence in his battered quarterback were smart and important. Uh, my goats of the week this week are the two officials who missed the... <laughs> and Keel Harry touchdown call in Foxborough, costing the Patriots at least four points and maybe more. Uh, my profile this week is on Hayden Hurst, the Baltimore tight end, who, did you guys all know this, that Hayden Hurst was a, a Pittsburgh Pirates draft choice in 2012? He's a, he was a pitcher, and he got a severe case of the yips which means that he lost the ability to throw strikes, and, and he flamed out of baseball by 2015. But obviously, he's had a good uh, comeback in football, was a first-round pick of the Ravens. Uh, they picked him even before they picked Lamar Jackson a couple of years ago, and uh, you'll enjoy reading his little story. Um, I, I think the, the one other thing that, hey, look, I really love this. Uh, I don't know how much you'll like it, but one of my factoids in the column this week is this. In 2008, his last year at Georgia, Matthew Stafford never completed 70% of his passes 
in any of his 13 games. In 2019, his last year at LSU, Joe Burrow has never completed less than 70% of his passes in any of his 13 games. I don't know. I, I just thought that was really a fun, uh, fun stat, uh, fun to just ponder how much life has changed in the SEC in 11 years and also how great I think Burrow could very well be in the NFL. Um, okay, so I'm going to get to uh, a few – I'm going to get to the Sunday games and just talk a little bit about them, um, and then I'll get to my adieu haiku. So we'll start with the Baltimore win over Buffalo in Orchard Park, New York. Ravens 24, Bills 17. I think the interesting part of this, and what I talked to Matthew Judon about after the game – uh, very impressive young linebacker for Baltimore, is that the Baltimore Ravens now, they've had this incredible run, this 7-0 and run starting two months ago against Seattle, ending today in Buffalo. Um, they have beaten all comers. Five of those teams are going to be in the playoffs most likely, and they beat them all, most of them substantially. And so I think the one thing I came away from Moving in and out of that game, I, w I mostly watched the, uh, uh, the Saints and the Niners. But moving in and out of that game, the one thing I took away is that you know, when Lamar Jackson has just an okay day or a bad day, they're not necessarily going to lose the game. Um, they, their defense has played so well, particularly in the last three or four weeks. Um, I think they've got a real chance to survive uh, a Lamar Jackson stinker in the postseason, such as the one he had last year against the Chargers uh, in his first playoff start ever. Um, the Bucks over the Colts, 38-35. It's, it's so interesting. I was on my way to, to ripping Jameis Winston again for throwing all these interceptions, and then you look up and he is – you know, even with a bit of an injured hand, he supposedly has a uh, uh, a, a fracture, a small fracture uh, in his hand, and it didn't seem to bother him all that much in the game. So um, you wouldn't think he would miss time with three weeks left to go, but we'll see as the week goes on. The Colts I would definitely be worried about. Their defense should be better than this. Uh, and, I mean, they just – do not hold up defensively for a full game. This is the second week in a row uh, that they have blown apart in the second half of games. And really their last gas probably uh, is next Monday night against the Saints. Uh, they just, you know, they've got to start winning games if they're going to have any prayer of playing in the postseason. Minnesota 20, Detroit 7. Look, the Lions are 1-9 in their last 10 games. I'm, I'm not saying they're a lost cause, but, you know, they just, they can't even, look, Matthew Stafford is part of most of those losses. Um, so it isn't just, you know, they're, they're, they're not winning because their starting quarterback is out. Um, I'd be a little worried about the Lions. I would not be too worried about the Vikings. I think they probably should have scored a little bit more. Uh, but I do think that 
the Vikings interest me so much entering the postseason because they could be one of the best six, six seeds if that's what happens in recent years in the NFL. Denver 38, Houston 24. Look, Drew Locke is a fun football player who has a great time out there and who today, uh, Sunday, was, I'd say, 25% better than he was in his debut. Uh, he still is not playing much bombs away football, so I'm sure Denver is going to try to get him to throw downfield a little bit more before the end of this season. But the one thing that, that Drew Locke has done is that he has basically now prevented John Elway from automatically thinking that I've got to go get a quarterback in the offseason. I doubt Joe Flacco comes back for them, but uh, whatever happens, you know, if Locke has a couple more good games, I think there's a very good chance the, uh, uh, the, the Denver Broncos will not go looking for a quarterback in the offseason. Green Bay 20, Washington 15. All sorts of stuff coming out of the Packers about, hey, winning ugly and, and we'll take wins any way we can get them and, and all that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers said that uh, I wouldn't mind winning ugly all the way to the Super Bowl. Um, but truly, they're just, they make some big plays, but they are not consistent uh, at all offensively, which I think is really worrying Rodgers and, uh, and worrying a lot of their offensive personnel. Atlanta 40, Carolina 20. Look, this is not a, you know, raise the white flag. We love uh, Ron Rivera, anything like that from the Panthers. They are just not good. Their quarterback has regressed. Um, and I just think right now that they're going to be a total inconsistent mess for the last three weeks of the season. They could play well, but most likely they're not going to play well and, and they're going to sink to the bottom sometime in the next three weeks. Cleveland 27, Cincinnati 19. Now, of course, it was overshadowed by Baker Mayfield saying after the game that he didn't think the medical staff had handled Odell Beckham Jr. well this year and also overshadowed by the Jay Glazer report saying that Odell definitely wants out. He's been asking people around the league, help me get, get me out of here. Um, and Odell Beckham wouldn't talk about it uh, after the game. You know, he really should, whatever the veracity or lack thereof in the story, and I certainly do believe the story. Um, you know, not a great day for Andy Dalton, not a great day for uh, a lot of people on the Bengals, but the one good thing is they're still in the pole position uh, for Joe Burrow. <laughs> so I think that's a, uh, I think that is a positive. Jets 22, Miami 21. You know, one of my special teams players of the week um, was uh, the, uh, the, 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 the kicker for the Dolphins. And <laughs> the one interesting thing about this is that, and, and, and again, look, you don't really know how things are going to go during the course of a game. You don't know whether a game is going to be ruled by kicking. But there were 10 field goals in this game. Um, neither team could get a lot going. 
I know Brian Flores after the game was furious with an overturned officials call, uh, but uh, I saw the call. It wasn't a horrible overturn. I think Al Riveron is being tremendously inconsistent, but I do think there was enough to overturn that call. Uh, Chargers 45, Jaguars 10. Man, can we just put Doug Marone out of his misery? It's just, it's so sad. You know, they now, I think the number has gotten to, they are 9 and 20 since they played in the AFC Championship game at, uh, uh, at New England um, a year and a half ago. And, and obviously they're in, a, they're in miserable, miserable shape. Um, you know, the highlights of this game are a riot because the Chargers had so many big plays. Um, the first, Austin Eckler became the first player this year to rush for over 100 yards in a game while also receiving for more than 100 yards in a game. Um, Kansas City 23, New England 16. Look, Andy Reid's uh, progressive play calling chops were out there for all to see. At one point, he had Travis Kelsey line up to take a wildcat snap, and he burrowed himself into, uh, into the end zone for a rushing touchdown. I mean, how bizarre is it to see a, a tight end, a big tight end, you know, do that? But that was really kind of a fun thing. Now, the Patriots obviously are in trouble. We could say the same thing every week. Uh, I think it's important to them to develop a few more gadget plays. They are not going to win games offensively doing bread and butter stuff. Tennessee 42, Raiders 21. You know, I've said this just about every week now in the last month, but the Tennessee Titans are going to give somebody, if they get in, a very, very difficult playoff game um, early on in January. And, and I, I say that because... Ryan Tannehill has been incredibly efficient at quarterback and, you know, as far as a running back goes, they have several, several options, but you know that the most important option and the best option is Derrick Henry, who over the last month has been the best, uh, best back in football. You know, the Raiders, unfortunately, um, have hit a dead end, um, and I rely on Mike Mayock to continue the retooling in the offseason, it's definitely, definitely needed. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they beat Arizona 23-17. And the Steelers now, um, if you haven't really figured it out, they're 6-1 in their last seven games. And one of the things that they have done exceedingly well is cope without incredibly debilitating injuries. Um, I don't know for a, as long a period of time as it is, they've had so many guys either injured and out or, you know, who they fired, you know, or gotten rid of like Antonio Brown. Uh, but this is a, uh, you know, this is sort of a, I don't know, I guess I'd call it a, a such an opportunistic time for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it's, it's really amazing to be winning games with Devlin Hodges, you know, as your quarterback, uh, I, I, I'm having a good time watching and, uh, and reading and sort of experiencing uh, this team because they are so, so fascinating. 
Um, and right now, Mike Tomlin is my, uh, is my coach of the year. Rams 28, Seahawks 12. You know, very, very unlike the Seahawks to uh, appear anyway um, like this was not a game that they felt was really an urgent game. And uh, that's totally unlike them, totally unlike Russell Wilson. Um, the encouraging thing for, for, thing for the Rams, I thought, in having this game on in the background while I wrote on Sunday night, is that they know right now that when they have their timing down very, very uh, exactly, in their passing game, that they're going to have a very, very good and profitable passing game. I thought that is exactly what they did uh, in this game today. So those are my um, those are my just quick little thumbnails on all the games. Um, hope you guys in the Chen family enjoyed it, <laughs> and I do appreciate you um, listening to the podcast. Um, my adieu haiku. Tennessee's pesky, getting hot at the right time. Big game v. Houston. That's right. Tennessee and Houston, two of the next three weeks, and the outcome of those games certainly is going to determine who wins in the AFC South this year. So thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Tune in for my, uh, my regular podcast on Wednesday. I'll be doing some traveling this week, collecting an interview or two, and look forward to sharing those with you in the very near future. Thanks a lot, and please go and read my column, Football Morning in America, at uh, NBCSports.com or at ProFootballTalk.com where you'll be able to be led to it at either site. Have a great week, everybody.